y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Crude Audacity Podcast, the podcast that talks shop shit and all things strategy with oil patch influencers. As always, I'm your host, Catherine Mills. I'm a reservoir engineer with a focus on advanced characterization. So today, consider this, the narrative of oil. If you are unfamiliar, the narrative behind oil is actually a very dangerous topic. The fossil fuels industry has ignored the rhetoric surrounding our use and extraction for so long that we are now faced with the backlash of uneducated, hateful, and false dialogue that has become combative or increasingly combative and purposely deconstructive to the betterment of science and the quality of life. Worse, this misinformation is plaguing the energy industry as a whole from false narratives, false expectations, and misdirection from non-energy experts. I mean, it really is spiraling. So how do we fix it? Where do we go from here? Let's talk about that. Lisa Hamill, welcome to the Crude Audacity podcast. Thank you very much for having me. (laughs) Well, I'm so thrilled to have you today because today we're going to be talking about Energy 360, and you are really focused on changing the narrative of how the energy industry, the fossil fuel industry, and oil and gas even, are being perceived in our modern masses, among, and especially with the upcoming 2020. So before we jump all into it, because I have quite a few questions for you, why Energy 360? I know your background is oil and gas, but how did, what prompted you? What did you start noticing in uh, our societies and our communities that we really needed to start focusing on this narrative? Well, I think what initially drew drew me into it was the fact that um, one of the prior companies I was working for, as a landman, I go out and do a lot of town halls and meeting with city councils and trying to work with landowners, trying to explain what we do, how we do, why we do it. Mm -hmm. And we were uh, all set to go to a, a town hall where a neighborhood association was coming in. And prior to going to the town hall, I was uh, invited to a meeting Uh, a two-hour meeting the day before uh, by our new head of security who was former anti-terrorist. I can't remember if it was CIA or FBI or whatever, but his job was former anti-terrorism. That's really intense. (laughs) It's very intense, and it was very intimidating. And he spent the whole time talking about how they had people in these organizations and they knew what questions we were going to ask and here are the tactics or what questions they were going to ask and here are the tactics they're going to try and do to, to get us to trip up and all these activist groups, uh, particularly in Weld County. Almost like they were terrorist groups. Yes. Whoa. Yes. And That's um, telling. Yeah. And they were they had a schedule on who was going to show up when and... Uh, what questions they were going to ask and that they sh- how they should video us and video our responses. And then he went on to say, should things go wrong? These are the ex- alternate exits, and this is the, sort of the escape plan. And I, I'm just sitting That's, there going, when did my job become anti-terrorist? That's um, very Marines of him, to know the exits? Yes. Well, that was his former job. Whoa. Uh, and so I got there a little early for the mm-hmm. meeting because I was obviously nervous. Yeah. The Weld County Sheriff was there. I can't remember which community it was in, but the local police were there. Our company security vehicles were there. And then I sat in my car and watched all these people start to arrive most of whom were young mothers. Mm-hmm. They were coming by themselves. They weren't even carpooling. They were coming by themselves in their Suburbans with their yoga pants and their plastic signs that said ban fracking. 
and I just <laughs> I just remember sitting there thinking there is a serious disconnect. Yeah. With you know when people think energy, they pretty much think transportation and you know power generation. What kind of car do I drive? How am I going to heat my home? They don't think about food and clothing and uh, healthcare and sports and the outdoor rec industry. They don't think about how that impacts, how energy, mm -hmm. all energy impacts the rest of their life. Yeah. And I just thought there's a serious disconnect here. And over the years, that was about five years ago, and over the years has this conversation has gotten more and more negative and certainly more angry. Yeah, I just mm -hmm. really feel like we need to learn how to have a more holistic energy conversation. All forms of energy work together. Uh, they all need each other. We need all of them. But we keep having these angry, polarizing conversations and nothing is getting uh, resolved. Mm. Um, and again, you know, like Greta Thunberg was in Denver today doing her uh, political, you know, her climate action protest on the uh, steps of the city and county. Yeah, we wouldn't get along. Well, and she was also, I didn't know this until this morning, she was the front runner to win the Nobel Peace Prize this year. And they just give that thing away. I'm sorry. Well, you know, <laughs> I, but I think the reality is, and, and I think you and I kind of had this conversation a mm -hmm. little bit, um, I think in any given issue, you're going to have 20% of the clientele or 20% of the population that's going to say, don't talk to me about it. I'm not going to listen to you. And then you're going to have 20%. That's mm -hmm. all 100% for it. And then you have this 60% in between that are sort of, I don't know. I need to think about it. I don't have all the information. They ask questions. And, and, <laughs> and that's the, the majority of the population, mm -hmm. right? But it's the 20% that are like, don't talk to me about it. This is awful. I, you know, you, we're ruining the planet. They're taking over this conversation. And it's getting angrier and angrier and angrier. And that's what frightens me the most, mm -hmm. is we are moving further away from having a conversation on how do we, we you know, we all use it. We all need it. Uh, how do we work together to make it work for all of us, mm -hmm. uh, including the, you know, the 1.2 billion people that have zero power in the country exactly. or in the world right now. So. Well, I'm I'm very, I guess, surprised. Maybe it's my naivety that you had this experience uh, in Weld County because it's kind of the heart of oil in Colorado, and so many good things have come out of that uh, county in terms of oil and gas. So. Were you just sitting there where they were really just worried about the moms with the plastic signs and the yoga pants or were they actually concerned about true uh, environmentalist type organizations coming in to be aggressive disruptors? Well, most of the activist groups in Weld County are funded by much larger, you know, Earth and Water Watch and okay. uh, they're, they're funded by much larger environmental groups and they come in and they get them all riled up mm -hmm. and they form these smaller groups and now you have things like Colorado Rising which have sort of taken on I've their own, <laughs> you know, they were started very small and started with funding from outside environmental groups but now they, um, you know, they, they, raise their own money. The biggest problem in Weld County is that at one point, and I think it still is one of the fastest growing counties in the country. It is. At one point, it was the number one fastest growing county in mm -hmm. the country. And oil and gas has been out there since the 1970s. Oh, yeah. And this is, this is the old, you know, you buy, you move in next door to the airport and then you complain about the noise. <laughs> um, there was one community out there where literally you had to drive around a pump jack. They had a circle, circle drive, you know, one of those... Uh, Roundabouts. Roundabout. They yeah. had a roundabout around uh, a uh, pump jack. I love that though. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, but that's ev everywhere you look out there. There, 
you know, there are 33,000 wells yeah. in Weld County and 55,000 in the entire state of Colorado. So um, you, these people would literally have to drive around this to get into their homes and then would call and complain that it's like it's, it's there. The problem I see, though, is even with the class I teach, the first day that we drive, the first day is in Greeley. Okay. Um, and the first question I ask everybody, and these are generally people that are somehow involved in oil and gas, mm-hmm. is how, how many of you noticed all of the oil and gas operations on the way up here? And maybe one or two out of 25 will raise their hands. And I think that it's, um, if you don't know what it is, you don't know what you're looking at. Exactly. So for a lot of people moving, especially from out of state into Colorado, don't understand that energy is such a big, uh, such a big part of our industry or mm-hmm. of, of the Colorado economy. And they move in and they don't, they don't know what it looks like. They don't know what it is. And all of a sudden you have these huge sound walls going up and you have a rig moving in and panic. You weren't, Mm -hmm. you weren't told, um, even though if you had read your title commitment, it's right in there, uh, (laughs) that, you know, there's an active oil and gas lease or, uh, or there's what's called a compatible developer surface use agreement. I mean, there's, there's all kinds of stuff in there that, but the realtors typically don't tell, they don't really they basically a lot of them don't know mm-hmm. and they don't share that and then all this stuff happens and so I, I totally understand that people feel like they weren't fully informed but with a little bit of research they would have known exactly mm-hmm. what was going this on. This is all public. Yeah so it's it's a complex situation um and most of the developers up there do make you sign something mm-hmm. that says, you know, you understand there's an active oil and gas lease here, yeah. but we've all been to closings for homes and, <laughs> you know, you're going through so many sheets of paper and it's just one more thing that you sign. I don't think they take the time to explain it to them and then people leave. And I've had developers that sold um, lots. I, I remember meeting with somebody who was about to close on a lot mm-hmm. up there and they we were out doing an on-site visit and she came over to ask what we were doing and we explained it to her and she was furious because the developer had sold her that lot because it backed up to open space and he, she had paid a premium for that lot. <laughs> so there's it's still just, open. There's just, yeah, until a rig moves in. Um, so there's just a lot of misinformation mm-hmm. and uh, misunderstanding and I think, you know, we can talk about oil and gas's role in that, yeah. But oil and gas is not alone in their role in that. It's it's very multifaceted. Uh, one of the big issues in Colorado is everybody wants this thousand foot setback, oh which God. basically makes it, you know, impossible mm-hmm. in most areas, especially in Weld County, to drill. Um, but it's a moratorium without being called a moratorium. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, which under Senate Bill 181, most of these communities can now say, we want a thousand foot setback. Uh, but what most people don't understand is the opposite is not true. For existing oil and gas production, the communities out there, the Fred, you know, the, the Erie's and the Firestones and the Fredericks mm-hmm. and the, you know, all these small communities, um, they set the setbacks for new houses being built up to existing. Mm-hmm. And the setbacks for most of them, so they can maximize their tax revenues from new homes going in, is yeah. 150 feet. Yep. So it's, it's, that's not well publicized. No, that's it's not very, meant to be. <laughs> it's a very, uh, and it's a very touchy situation mm-hmm. because developers have not necessarily been against oil and gas production, 
but you know it it gets it becomes again a complicated conversation very very quickly that involves a lot of different people and uh, my big thing is that I think the messaging and the information that we are being given is Mm -hmm. is incomplete at best oh and that's what I'm trying to do is say wait a minute you know (laughs) there's a bigger picture here and we have to look at all sides of it so that's kind of what prompted you to have the inspiration behind it. But now Energy 360 is healthy, well, and running. So can you talk to us more about the reach, the extent, the education behind Energy 360 itself? And what if someone wants to get involved? How do they find you? Give us all the details there about the current state of the company. Well, it's a nonprofit, mm-hmm. first of all. Um, it, you know. I, it is a, a viable nonprofit. I do do some education. I do do some. I do a lot of public speaking, but I don't. Uh, you know, I, I've I've struggled time wise to get um, a lot more put together. We yeah. have a, we have a website. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's okay. But I the, like your website. <laughs> <laughs> the three main things that I would really like to accomplish with Energy Three Sixty is. First and foremost, like I said, how do we have a more holistic energy conversation? How do we help people understand that we need all forms of it Mm -hmm. and that they all work together? And I agree. That is definitely the key subject. Yes. I think it's an either-or conversation right now, and it needs to be an and conversation. I like that. How do you move people to that and? Mm -hmm. Um, Because in my opinion, as with many topics in the United States right now. Uh, It's very polarizing and very angry, and I just don't see how we can reach a solution or reach collaboration or have a a viable, productive conversation if we're just yelling at each other and not listening to to how it all has to work together. (laughs) So uh, the first one is how do you change the conversation? The second is how do you really get people to understand? Like I said, when most people think about oil and gas in particular, Mm -hmm. uh, they only think about power generation and transportation. And there's this belief that if we can reach our renewable energy goals, that we'll no longer need fossil fuels. That's the narrative right now. That is the narrative. And again, that's that either or conversation. Um, Thank you, Elizabeth Warren. Yeah. But it, it, it impacts healthcare and uh, sports and um, food and clothing and impacts every aspect of our life from from the time you get up in the morning until the time you go to bed at night um, you are using some sort of petroleum product Mm -hmm. and it is not just the kind of car you drive and how you heat your home Um, (laughs) and so I'm really trying to bring more awareness to the fact uh, to help people understand that in in the world that we live in where you push a button on your phone and it magically shows up on your doorstep, that there's a lot more to our consumerism aspect of, yes. of energy. Um, I think personally we could debate all day about the climate change conversation. Mm-hmm. If the question instead is what do I think is the, the biggest impact that we as human beings are having on the planet, mm-hmm. I would say it's not climate change, it's consumerism. I like that. And consumerism is... Other air quality issues, it's land use, it's water use, it's other natural resource use, it's waste. And all of that is having a much bigger impact on our planet than this conversation that we've gotten stuck in Mm -hmm. with climate change. So I'm working, I've been working with several people to try and put together what I'm calling the footprint fair, which is instead of a science fair, I mean, it'd be the same thing as a science fair, Mm -hmm. but for sixth to eighth graders, give them some parameters, but have them really look at what are the metrics? What does it take from beginning to end? How many different countries does, do the raw materials come from? How far do they, do they have to travel? What forms of energy are used along the way? 
Are they using any recycled materials? Can mm-hmm. can the product be recycled at the end of life? How's it packaged? What how, how much you know? What kind of packaging is it coming mm-hmm. in? Uh, how much waste is there with that? Um, there are lo- uh, lots of different things that you could look at. I would give them guidelines. Kids are very creative. I'm sure they'll come up with other metrics that I haven't thought of. Kids are so bloody brilliant they these are. days. It's unfair. They are. Yes. <laughs> so unfair. <laughs> so, but look at it from beginning to end, yeah. and come up with one thing in the middle, or mm-hmm. one thing in that process. Uh, that you think might improve it, might okay. make a might make a product more sustainable, or uh, might make it more reusable, mm-hmm. or you know what one what one thing could you come up with in mm-hmm. there? And the goal is not really. I'm sure they'll come up with creative, wonderful ideas. It's not really to see what kind of ideas they come up with, um, although I would offer prizes for the best <laughs> ideas. Uh, but it's really to bring more awareness to the fact that it doesn't just magically show up on your doorstep and to get them to think about what is the impact of this product? Mm-hmm. Do I really need it? What should I do with it when I'm done with it? Mm-hmm. You know, I, uh, in the same way that when I grew up, we had the reduce, reuse, recycle. Yes. And that was the education. I had that too. <laughs> yeah, that was the education for the students. And I remember going home to my parents and saying, hey, you know, are we going to recycle that? And, you know, in the beginning, they sort of looked at me like I had two heads. But yeah. now it's commonplace. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that... If we can get these kids to go home and start get their parents to start thinking about do you re- having that conversation as opposed to What's your we're all dying <laughs> tomorrow because of climate change, you know, yeah. oh, good um, Lord. most people don't really think about their personal footprint uh, outside of again a car or their how their mm-hmm. home. So the third thing that I would hope would come out of that is I would eventually like to do a label system of some sort, kind of like a nutrition label on products. <sighs> And so that they can understand their footprint. Right. Oh, that's and, brilliant. And help people make them become, you know, help them become more informed consumers. Mm-hmm. So they would have an overall score at the top, but you would have some of those metrics that we just talked about. Yeah. And they'd get a ranking on some of those metrics. Um, kind of like you'd look at a nutrition label and you could see, you know, how many fat, how many fat calories, how many, you know, protein how you know whatever metric is important to you if I'm on a ketogenic diet I'm going to be looking a lot at the fat calories correct yeah if something if it's really important to me that the raw materials for this product are locally sourced so that they don't have to travel halfway around the world I can look at that metric whatever Mm -hmm. the metric is that's more important to you to help you become a better consumer and then you have the overall sustainability rating at the top so um, there are labels out there uh, but they basically do a, like a green, yellow, red. They don't really tell you what's behind it. Exactly. They don't explain what the metrics are. Mm-hmm. They, it, you know, and that's part of the problem, in my opinion, is that everybody talks about how sustainable they are and how green they are, but they don't really talk about what is behind that and what goes into that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what the more important thing. Well, anybody can say that they're green. Uh, or any like anybody can say that they're carbon neutral, mm-hmm. which is an oxymoron in my opinion as well. Uh, so I love that title. <laughs> yeah. So um, you know, I I just think that the more information you can get out to people, the better. And yeah. But the, it's really more of an awareness campaign. I'm not here to say that this form of energy, like oil and gas, yes, that's my background. I'm not here to say that oil and gas is perfect, nor am I here to say that that's the only form of energy that we should have. And I like that you just said that, because that's the thing I think we need to always hit home, is we recognize that we can always be better. Yes. And we're striving to do so. Yes. Yes, we are. And, and, you know, there's going to be new technologies that come along. Mm -hmm. And I hope there are new technologies that come along. You know, we... (laughs) We started off with 
with wood, right? Fire. <laughs> Fire is great. But the one thing we have to remember is that everything has a pro and a con. Mm-hmm. So wood was great in the beginning. It gave us heat. It helped us cook our food, you know, but it also burned down the forest and burned down our home and, mm-hmm. you know, caused issues. You know, then we had whale oil. I mean, we've gone through a number of different types of energy. We will eventually evolve out of oil and gas. Yeah. But it's not going to happen tomorrow. And the com- But the conversation right now is that it has to happen tomorrow. And so that's where I get a little... I think the conversation gets a little dicey. So I think so. So talk to me more about this consumerism, um, I guess, science fair you're describing. When when are you hoping or planning to possibly get that up and running? Because I think that's a huge thing for schools, especially when we're seeing notes being sent home that say, hey, guess what? Your kids don't have to come to school today because we're marching. Well, maybe we should also be educating. Well, the first thing that I want to say about that is that it's not something that I would put through the school system. I would hope that the people that participate in it would take it back to the school system or would have a different... It's it's really hard to get things into the curriculum, and mm-hmm. I've, ta- I've talked to a number of, of teachers who are not interested in this because they, they believe... And in fact, I was told by a, a junior high school teacher in the Cherry Creek School District that they waited until the last week or last two weeks of school to even teach climate change because it was so controversial that they got more phone calls about that from parents than they did about when they taught you know, evolution. So they just avoided the subject. They're kind of avoiding it, but th- it was very clear that, given my background in particular, that they thought that I was trying to, to sell them you know, on fossil fuels, which is not what I'm trying to do at all. And in fact, when it comes to that, you know, part of the reason I started Energy 360 is because I think oil and gas lived in denial for so long that we needed to change our message and we needed to get a different message out there and we needed to help people understand the role that we played in their everyday life. Mm -hmm. That now I think when they do try and do that, it's not that companies aren't trying to do that or Mm -hmm. organizations aren't trying to do that. Um, I think people discount that message because they see it as self-serving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, okay. So, you're not. We're going to ignore the fact that you think that there are health issues here. We're just going to tell you how important we are in your life. Yeah. Exactly. And I. So it can be condescending if you don't approach it properly. Yes. And and I I do think in many ways we have um, missed the mark on that. Mm-hmm. And we waited way too long mm-hmm. to have those kinds of conversations. As with most big business, right? It's not it's not particular to oil and gas, mm-hmm. um, and now we're in this interesting position. And that's you know that's energy three hundred and sixty. Is I want to talk about all forms of energy, not just that. oil and gas. Um, and because we have a future, I love that. That's such a smart approach. Change the narrative as a whole. Right. Well, and I'm hoping that through some things like the Footprint Fair, Mm -hmm. that I can help people understand. I'm not here to debate which form of energy, but let's look at this realistically. Correct. From beginning to end, what types of energy are being used? Mm -hmm. How is it being moved around the world? What are the raw materials? Yeah. You know, this this is the reality of what it is. This is not a scientist versus somebody else say, you know, this is, you know, a, a lot of people who don't believe in climate change, you know, it's false science. It's this, that, and the other thing. This isn't science. This is this is what it takes to make this product and Correct. to get it to you. It's just pure facts. This, this is just metrics. Right. That's interesting. Well, okay, so you said something very interesting uh, about 
understanding where it all comes from. And if I do anything with this podcast, I would like to support changing the narrative. And if someone outside of the fossil fuels industry gets involved or starts listening, I want them to have a positive, tangible takeaway that they can learn something from this. So you teach a class on the life cycle of oil and gas. Can you give us a I don't know if they're, if condensed is really the word, but can you give us a Cliff Notes version of the life cycle of oil and gas so that someone who might not know can have a better understanding of beginning to end? Well, um, I mean, the, the whole point behind the life cycle of oil and gas is to really help people understand what it takes to get a molecule of hydrocarbon out of the ground and to the end user. Yes. Uh, because a lot of people don't understand what it takes. They mm-hmm. just they see a rig or they see whatever. I mean, I think there's, in fact, the geologist that teaches the geology portion of the class still talks about, you know, where does oil and gas come from? And it's mm-hmm. not in big lakes uh, down. I think a lot of people still think it's dinosaurs and there are giant lakes of it. And all we're doing is punching a hole in the ground and sucking it out with a straw. Hate to break it to y'all, but it's not dinosaurs. Right. <laughs> My God. Right. <laughs> so um, we start uh, you know, we, we cover everything. We, we talk about the geology mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a big part of, of, of Colorado oil and gas, right? Mm-hmm. And everything that's going on with Senate Bill 181. Uh, we're being told by counties now, if, you know, if we don't like where you site your well, we're just going to put you where we want you. Well, the geology doesn't support that. Slash, you won't know. Right. <laughs> and so, you know, you have to go where the geology is. So Correct. how is oil and gas formed? What are we looking for? Why is fracking important? I think that's a big message that the oil and gas industry has not talked about. Why should about. we not be afraid of fracking? <laughs> you know, I we talk a lot about about sort of how we know what you know, we know what we're doing is safe. And mm-hmm. it's ninety nine and a half percent water and sand, which it is. But <laughs> it's not it's not well, why do you have to do it? Mm-hmm. That question is, and I, I do the uh, Museum of Nature and Science, the Girls' Day in Science mm-hmm. every year. and um, That's so good. And, I love that. Yeah. More STEM. Come on, y'all. <laughs> oh, and it's great. But I will stand there with a piece of shale in my hand, which smells like oil and gas. And I will ask them, you know, what does this smell like? And then they'll say oil and gas. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of oil and gas in this rock. Mm-hmm. How do you think we get it out? Mm-hmm. And inevitably they will say well you must have to break it and I'm like exactly Mm -hmm. and so I start explaining why we have to have you know what we're doing we're increasing the porosity and permeability and that's how we get the oil and gas out and we go through this explanation and without fail there's a parent standing there going oh is that what fracking's for so it's like at least they're asking it's true (laughs) and it's like you know how about if we start explaining why we do that's Mm -hmm. part of the reason I'm teaching this class this is why we do what we do. This is how we do it. And this is, you know, why these, even when I would go to town hall meetings and stuff, people would come up and I would find out, I mean, people came in pretty angry. And if you really took the time to answer their questions and have one-on-one conversations with them, most of the time they would leave going, okay, I'm okay with it now. Mm -hmm. Um, But we don't, Again, we've lost that ability to have we give that them conversation. Two minutes. Right. <laughs> we give them two minutes in front of the CRGCC to express uh, their fears about everything. Yes. When someone's inevitably yawning while they're talking. Yes. Ugh. So, you know, um, conversation, again, communication. My background is a commun- I'm a communications major, which applies in every, every field. I yes. never thought I would be in oil and gas for so long, but uh, it has. You're an influencer. Well, but I, I think it's important 
you can't just tell people, you know, I think Colorado is really tired of the message that we're really important to jobs in the economy. Well, it's not working. It's not resonating anymore. It's not resonating. People are concerned about their health. They have other issues, and we continue to push jobs in the economy. We mm -hmm. continue to tell them the message that we want them to hear, as opposed to listening to what they, their concerns are and answering those questions mm -hmm. and giving them a forum and a place where they can come and share some of those answers mm -hmm. or some of those questions. So, you know, I think that's really important. So back to the class. Um, we do geology, then we talk, you know, we are lucky enough, Noble is very generous to allow us to go up to their training facility in Greeley. That is so Where cool. <laughs> we do all the engineering stuff, so it's hands-on. They have pump jacks, they have tanks, they have separators, they have compressors, they have, you know, and you can touch it and see it, and they have cutaways, and you can see inside, and you can see what's, and they talk about, this is what this does, and this is what that does. Um, and then we take them on a rig tour. That's cool. Um, and, you know, most of them are surprised at how quiet it is, how clean it is, how, you know, unless you're standing right over the mud pits, how it's really not that smelly. Um, it doesn't even scare away deer anymore. Right. <laughs> and, and so, you know, and then we talk about the land aspect and mm -hmm. why, how land is, why it's so important. Land, yeah. is, land is important to every form of energy. Every but form. land hardly ever comes up in the energy conversation. Um, but Isn't it's, that criminal? But it's such a valuable asset to us as a country. Um, and, you know, and I'm working with people who've farmed this land for, you know, centuries. centuries. And it's, you know, you have to be respectful of whether it's somebody's house that's backing up to it or some a farmer or, you know. I really try and work very hard with all of the landowners to make every, mm -hmm. you know, I will go out of my way to do what I can to make people happy. Have but a cup land, of coffee with them right. because they usually oh, the want to know. Right. Um, and they're some of our biggest supporters because yeah. we've done great things for, for their property. Uh, not in 100% of the cases. You know, nobody's 100% perfect. So, but we do try to, mm -hmm. to achieve that. Uh, then we also talk about the regulatory um, we have a, a game that we play called the uh, the exploration game. Uh, we divide them up into teams. They all get $50 million. They have to read the geologic reports and shoot seismic and buy land and drill wells. And, you know, they have sort of chance cards on things that they have to do. So it's whoever makes the most money. But it's very kind of ties the whole class together. If you could drop 50 million my way, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, me too. If it's fake money, I'll make a lot of money at Dang. it. But if it's real money, I'd probably lose it all. Um, <laughs> then, you know, we talk about the geopolitics and the economics. I mean, we go through it from beginning to end. And I always end the class with, you know, here's another aspect of oil and gas that you need to think about. It's not just... Do we have electric cars or regular cars or, you know? But you still take them through after production, after downstream, how it's being consumed and what it's producing as well. That's the last thing I talk about mm -hmm. is let's look at all the different aspects of it yeah. um, and how we're consuming it. Mm -hmm. So, yes, and that's the last part is like here's why we need to have a different conversation around this. Mm -hmm. You've just learned about it. And most people, and I've done just tours for people. I was in Leadership Denver uh, last year, and when Prop 112 was on oh. the ballot, mm. and uh, there were a lot of people in Leadership Denver. I mean, these are the leaders in Denver, right? Yeah. And they didn't really understand uh, Prop 112 
or the oil and gas industry. So I put together a rig tour and took them out. And I will tell you that most of them walked away going, yeah, I get it now. I understand it. When you do rig tours, when you really get people out there and they can see what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, And it's a, you know, it's a, it's, it's a paradox for us because Usually when we go up and put in those sound walls, we're doing it to protect the neighbors and protect people around it. But then we get what's going on behind there. Mm -hmm. Now you guys are hiding things from us. (laughs) So it's kind of a (laughs) no-win situation. Um, What's a no-win because of lack of education? Yes. Yeah. So that's what I'm – I mean, that's – that's the ultimate goal of Energy 360 in my mind is just how do you educate people and bring awareness to – the whole conversation. And I love that you're an influencer and you have a communications background because I think that those are the people making the real strides in our industry right now. But you said that you also address the geopolitical side of it. So how do you go about teaching the geopolitical side of oil? Because in a lot of cases, I feel like they like to jack up our narrative. Even if we've made strides, all you have to do is throw up some flashy headline that scares 20 million people, and all of a sudden we didn't make any strides. Well, I don't, I I have a number of, I run the class, but Mm -hmm. I have a number of different teachers that come in and talk about it. Uh, The gentleman who comes in and does the geopolitics, I mean, really what he's talking about, he talks about the various, because this is a fossil fuel class, he talks about uh, you know, where where does the United States fit in with regard to uh, oil production? You mm-hmm. know, we're, we're, most people don't even know that we um, are the number one producer of oil and natural gas in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people still think it's, you know, the Middle East. And, oh, it's Russia. Yeah, it's <laughs> Russia. <Mother> Russia. <laughs> or, you know, who knew Australia was so, you know, I mean, it's... People don't realize that Australia don't. is such right. a prominent force, but right. they're kind of lucky because they're down there by themselves. So. Right. <laughs> and I would... You know, we are also the number one consumer of it. Yes, we are by far. So I, I consumerism. don't right when I I don't get into the politics of things because I think the more I I really am trying to promote a conversation, yeah. not a political movement. That's um, really smart though, because we're seeing a lot of influencers who have started that way, and then they just became polarizing. Right. So now they walk into the room, and there's already a fight to be had. Right. Well, most most people are advocates or proponents of one form of energy or renewables versus fossil fuels. Um, I guess the most political I will get is that if if there's this massive push in the United States to ban production. Mm-hmm. And my question for all the politicians and the policymakers out there is where is your equal ban on consumption. Mm -hmm. Because if we only ban production in the United States and we don't change our consumption or, or at least address the consumption side of it, where's that going to leave us in the rest of the world? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we're the number one producer and consumer. If we stop becoming the number one producer, that's not going to leave us in a very good place with the rest of the world, Mm -hmm. Uh, not politically or economically or in any way, shape or form. But I never hear about, well, if we want to ban production, uh, what are we going to do to change our consumption? Mm -hmm. I just don't hear a lot about that. So So in first world, because I'm liking a lot of the things you're saying. You're actually educating me as we go, so I really appreciate it. But um, in the first world, that's where most of the hostilities are towards oil and gas. When you get to second, third, they're so welcoming of that that influx of capital, economy, job generating, 
all the things that you know we don't really care about when we have the conversation we'll easily tune them out but it makes such a difference so in the first world in the united states when did energy become the enemy because it's something that we have taken so far and done so well in so why why is this industry so host or has so much hostility within it and amongst it and coming at it <laughs> i wish i had an answer for that um <laughs> i think going back to this you know in the 70s there was the debate was between uh, global warming and global cooling. But most of those got disproven. Like well, constantly. and if you notice again, it's the rhetoric, right? It's mm-hmm. this, it's semantics. It's no longer global warming. It's climate change. Yes, that's true. Because the climate, the globe, the warming has not happened the way they expected that it would. That doesn't mean that we aren't heating up the planet. Again, is this the is 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 the temperature of the planet the biggest? the biggest issue that I see with human beings inhabiting this planet. And I mm-hmm. would say no, because mm-hmm. there's, there's, um, it doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to it. It mm-hmm. doesn't mean it's not important. I think it has, you know, again, fear mongering is a fantastic fundraising <laughs> mechanism. It makes a lot of money. It does. And I think a lot of people have made a lot of money off of climate change. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my biggest issue is that everything is being um, blamed on climate change. I saw an article the other day that said the rise in suicide is because of climate change. Um, I'm so happy I did not see that. (laughs) Well, it was done in England, and they, they, towards the end of the article, they were talking about the fact, I mean, they actually reached out to, like, the suicide prevention agencies in in the U.K., and... uh, at the end of the article, they were sort of saying, well, you, this, you didn't really look at the metrics that we look at, and we're, we're a little confused by this. So they pushed back a little this. bit, yeah. Right. But that's not what most people see, right? We have a six-second attention span at best. Mm-hmm. You see the headline, and who reads to the end where they're saying we, we can't really get behind this? Exactly. So, you Actually, know, climate uh, evaluators and scientists have have come pushed back against the the idea of climate change, not because it's not happening, but because it's not happening in the way that's being projected. Right. And it's been happening since the planet was formed. Well, the climate's a huge system. To call it one continuous body is just naive. Yeah. So, again, complex issues. Energy is complex. Climate is complex. Uh, People are complex. And, you know, fear... One of my biggest problems, I was just having this conversation with my father at lunch today. We have become such a fearful, angry society, and we are so afraid to say anything to anybody anymore oh, because like we PC are culture type thing. Yes, because we are afraid that we will offend somebody somehow. So instead, we are all just, you know, instead of having productive, collaborative conversations, we just form an opinion mm-hmm. and, um, find research or find information that backs up that opinion mm-hmm. and then we don't talk to each other it's just and i just think again like a lot of things uh cl- the whether it's climate change or, or or energy or politics or religion i mean pick a topic the conversation is so polarizing mm-hmm. that there's no like how do we we don't sit around the dinner table anymore and talk i mean it's, it's <laughs> it, it you know you play on your cell phone or your ipad <laughs> exactly exactly i'm guilty of that yeah. also i definitely know that uh i would probably offend people so 
just throwing that out there. Well, <laughs> I'm not a part of that PC culture. <laughs> Equal opportunity offensive. <laughs> well, it's interesting because I, I do go to a fair amount of um, of meetings. I went to a 350.org meeting once. Obviously, they're the keep it in the ground group. Yep. And How I, was that? Did you have a delightful time? You know, I... If I'm going to have a 360-degree conversation around energy, I have to understand all sides of it. And that includes where they're coming from. That's very that's very well said. Good so, point. You know, so I'm interested to hear, just like I am when I walk into a town hall and I can tell that people are angry or upset or afraid, mm-hmm. I need to understand where they're coming from or I can't answer their questions. That's true. So I went to this meeting once, and, and um, it was this woman talking about how more and more people believe in climate change. You know, the, the curve is like this, but uh, people talking about it is dropping off dramatically. And she wanted us to break up into groups and talk about why we don't talk about climate change. Mm-hmm. And so I was sitting around in this little group, and I wanted them to, you know, I wanted to hear what they had to say Fly first. On the wall initially. <laughs> right. And um, it was, oh, it makes everybody so angry. And, my, my, you know, people call me a tree hugger. And, you know, it was, it was all kind of negative. And very negative, actually. And um, it got to me, and I said, well, you know, it's snowing outside, and we're sitting here in this nice, warm building, and we just watched a great presentation. And um, I think most of us drove here, and I don't know about you guys, but I got up and had a hot shower and a cup of coffee this morning. (laughs) And I said, if I can't decide which one of those things I'm willing to give up, how can I ask somebody else to give it up? True. And they all looked at me like I had lost my mind and they were very quiet and she infiltrated (laughs) this woman reached over and hit me on the knee and she said you need to tell the whole room that and I good for her I said no that's okay I'm not here to start a riot (laughs) that's just my perspective right I mean in the same way that you can have all of these groups that the keep it in the ground groups that say you know you have to do it our way mm-hmm. um I, I i don't when you can show me how you have given up 100 percent of the fossil fuels in your life mm-hmm. i am more than happy to listen oh absolutely but right now you can't do that you're just it's rhetoric at this point correct it doesn't mean it shouldn't be addressed. It doesn't doesn't mean it shouldn't be discussed, but it shouldn't be done in such an angry, divisive manner that we're not going to ever resolve anything. Accurate. Yeah. Yes. So that's the problem that I have. So I like that you ended right there because mm-hmm. you're going to love my next question. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so 2020 is upon us. Yes. Let's talk angry rhetoric. Let's talk polarizing. Let's talk what's going to happen to the oil and gas industry, this side of energy in 2020. Because we are seeing 112 here. We're seeing 181. I don't know all the legislation trying to be passed in other more oil-friendly states, but I have a feeling it's along the same lines. So what does 2020 look like for us? Because we're already in a volatile state. So can we handle additional negativity? Well, from a purely energy perspective, yes, I think that um, Colorado has long been a state that other states have looked to. I mean, we have some of the strongest regulations, and other states are now requiring similar strong regulations. Um, and I think that some of the legislation, like Senate Bill One Eighty One, where they're you know they want local control and all these things that 
and people, again, Colorado Rising today filed another lawsuit saying that um, that the COGCC should not be filing or should not be issuing any permits whatsoever, that it goes against 181, which was never really the intent of 181. But, you know, I think when Polis signed that bill, he said, you know, this shall, this will end the energy debate in Colorado. I, it, nothing could have been further from the truth. Um, Colorado Public Radio just had a... Uh, a story the other day talking about how doesn't 181 doesn't matter. Um, oil and gas companies are, are moving ahead and drilling just as much as they They were. didn't read that article. Well, no, they buried very deep in that article that through 2020, most oil and gas companies, because we had any oil and gas company is planning ahead two or three years. So we had an inventory of permits that had already been approved. Mm-hmm. Um, once that inventory is up, yeah. It's going to be terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and with with the current administration and the, the rules and regulations that they're looking at and the local control, we have only barely begun to see the impacts of, of where this could go. Um, industry, I know, is, is working very hard to try and work with all the regulatory bodies and the COGCC and the, even the activists and the landowners. We're, we've always been trying very hard to, to see if we could come to some sort of resolution here. I don't know that that's going to happen, again, because I think the 20% that is so against any sort of oil and gas development whatsoever has taken over the conversation. Mm-hmm. And um, we waited too long. As an industry, we waited way too long to get into this conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we avoided it. We we yeah we we avoided it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the polite. That's the PC way of putting it. Oh dang! <laughs> um, but you know, I when you have people like Elizabeth Warren saying, oh, "Yeah, ban, uh, once I get in office, I'm going to ban fracking." The reality the day that, one ban fracking. Right. The reality is, is her secret service will go down almost immediately. No cars, no protection. (laughs) Well, you know, we all know that politicians say a lot of things to get elected. Oh, yeah. And when they get in and look at the reality and when it's, you know, she's not just one person, just as Trump wasn't, just as Obama wasn't there. No one person can dictate that kind of policy. It's also a private industry. Well, it is, but we have to work with the public. True. So, um, and, you know, we we do need to, we should have been more cognizant of that. We should have, you know, if anything, I think the oil and gas industry, like I said, waited too long to get into the conversation and did have this attitude of, we know what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And why do I have to pay money to tell other people that I know what I'm doing? Yeah. And... They would not be, I mean, I grew up in the 70s, right? The steel industry was very strong, in this, and then it's it's gone, basically. It's no longer in, because there were so many protests against steel manufacturers and the pollution and everything else. Well, it's not gone. It moved overseas, and it now you're overseas. complaining that it's overseas. Right. And again, to my point, if we ban production but don't ban consumption, where is that going to leave us in mm-hmm. the world? So, you know, I think it's a, it's a far more complex issue. I don't think that it's 100% bleak. Mm-hmm. Um, I also don't think that it's incredibly positive. No. I think it's going to have to, like like all things, mm-hmm. right? The first car that rolled off the assembly line did not have windshields and seatbelts and airbags. It and evolved. It evolved. And energy or pharmaceuticals or the steel industry or pick any industry 
nobody does it 100% right the first time. Mm-hmm. And hopefully you will learn from those mistakes. One of the things that frustrates me the most is, I mean, just the BP Macondo spill in the Gulf. Hmm. Um, it was, you know, how horrific is this? That's fine. Yes, it was horrific. I'm not saying it yeah, wasn't. No it was a terrible it accident. <laughs> but where are the stories about all the technology that came out of that that made all of that safer for everybody, both onshore and offshore? Where are the stories about how much BP did to right. rectify the situation? I mean, even look at Anna Darko buying bikes for all those kids. Like, the good works do not get publicized. No, and I've worked for companies that have won awards from the Department of Wildlife. And I mean, you don't know how closely we work with and care about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm a fifth generation Colorado native. I care very much about this state. I love the outdoors like everybody else does here. And nothing makes me more frustrated than because I work in this industry mm-hmm. uh, that somehow I You're don't care. I don't care about the outdoors. I don't care about Colorado. I don't care. And I think there's, uh, you know, this big disconnect. The outdoor retail industry is a huge industry in the state of Colorado, mm-hmm. as is the energy industry. Mm-hmm. And there, the conversation is that for some reason, if we have one, we can't have the other. The conversation is not that they are both economic drivers in this community or in this state, but you really could not participate in the great outdoors without oil and gas at this point. True. And it's not just that you're driving your car up there or you're uh, taking you know, that lift to the top of the mountain. Right. <laughs> and the snowmaking machines, the skis, the boots, the poles, the bikes, the the tents, the fishing poles, the Nalgene all bottles. Petroleum. All of them are made from petroleum feedstocks. Mm-hmm. And um you know, again, if you don't want oil and gas, well, then you have to stop using it. That's Correct. where the consumerism side comes in. Correct. And if we don't change our habits or change our preferences, and I don't, I'm not talking about everybody moving from a, a McMansion down to a tiny home. No, that won't whatever, happen. Whatever change in consumerism, I don't. I think you can make changes in consumerism without giving up huge conveniences. Yes. But I also think that there are certain things that people see as convenient and necessary that are not really necessary. Mm-hmm. And maybe with some education would mm-hmm. change some of their shopping habits. And if everybody did that, mm-hmm. then I think we could have a pretty big impact. But instead, we rely on... Uh, you know, government and the you know the Paris Climate Accord and big industry to mm-hmm. say this is what it should look like going yeah. forward. And again, you know, just because to your point about first world problems, right? <laughs> yes, we have the time, and the the we have the time and the energy to devote to these kinds of conversations because we aren't having to haul water every day, Correct. and we aren't having to build. I mean, 1.2 billion people in this world still have access to zero energy, which is criminal yes and i think it's i don't know three billion have limit or you know another i can't remember the statistics that is the difference in life and death in a hospital yes absolutely you want to talk health uh (laughs) when it comes to you know if i have somebody connected to uh you know life-saving machinery uh, uh you know or even just going and getting a shot i want a sterile needle um and you know all of that any hospital is like 100% fossil fuels. And yes, if you're hooked up to life-saving machinery, you want to make sure you have reliable energy. Oh, 100%. And it doesn't mean that we can't replace some of that with wind and solar. We can. Uh, They have a benefit too. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I... 
again, they're interrelated. You could not build any of those wind turbines or solar farms without the fossil without fossil fuels to manufacture the pieces and the parts to to the heavy machinery to build the product. You know, the, those wind turbines don't just pop up. Um, are you sure? In the middle of nowhere. <laughs> um, and, and how are you moving those things around? I mean, I just got back from Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Wind turbine nation. Well, mm-hmm. but half, more than half the drive was nothing but those, the big, you know, the support be- vehicles in front and back with the big wind turbine plates being yeah. hauled across country to, to be put in. That is some impressive driving. You have to give it to them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it was something to watch in otherwise very flat driving. Um, so, you know... It's all interconnected, mm-hmm. but we, we've got to, I, I don't know. Yeah. Well, something you did say was interesting to me, um, that we like to use Colorado as a sounding board for a lot of this legislation. And most would argue that it's probably because we are so purple, which I kind of love about this state. But when you see bills like this coming through, do they really care if it gets passed here or not? Or are they just trying to set precedent so that they can go and they being environmental groups or activist groups, what have you, whatever you want to call them. Are they trying to go after bigger fish like Texas, like North Dakota, like oh, Pennsylvania? Absolutely. So it's really not about Colorado. Well, so they're hyping up the wrong team. No, really what the, what it has been is that if they can, they feel like if they can get it passed here, they can take it other places. It's hard to say. I mean, it is just, we are sort of, the benchmark, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I think one thing that bothers me the most is that we have a lot of high-power environmental groups coming to Colorado because they've been able to rile up particularly Weld County and get the yeah. activist groups going. Um, and they've gotten more traction here than they've gotten in any other state. Mm-hmm. So that's why we've become sort of the poster child. I have a real problem with A, that they fly people in from all over to come here and sign petitions and do, and they flood money in here and they send people here to influence policy in a state where they don't live and they don't, they are not impacted by, you know, again, they're not impacted by the economics mm-hmm. of what happens if the oil and gas industry goes away. They're not impacted by, you know, what happens to all those jobs. And, you know, I mean, Oil and gas is not wrong to stress economy and jobs in their message. The problem is that's the only thing they they stress. Yeah, that's just so, the part that's not resonating. So, right, but, <laughs> wrong portion of the message. Right, but wrong KPI. How's right. that? But they're you know they they fly in, they have great influence, and then they leave. They go back to their own little neighborhoods. Yeah, like, they do. Okay, well, who are you to come in and tell us when you don't even live here? Exactly. You got us all pissed off and then you just up and dropped a bomb and you left. Right. It's not okay. So let's talk about changing the narrative because I really want something actionable for everyone here. So we know that next year will probably be difficult. It's already proving to be difficult now and we've got a down market. So nobody's having that great of a time right now. But what can we do as an industry? What can the energy industry do? What can even solar and wind help to do? to help change this narrative? Well, I think there needs to be more collaboration, which when you're talking different industries, I mean, let's face it, solar, wind, and fossil fuels are competing industries. So it's difficult to get everybody together at the same table and have a collaborative conversation. Mm -hmm. I think it's necessary. I think it's needed, and I'd love to see it happen. 
Um, it would be so cool just to have a forum. Yeah. You know, there are people, um, you know, I know the Museum of Nature and Science uh, through their Science and Policy Institute is doing uh, their climate change symposium next week mm-hmm. uh, on October 16th. Um, and I think they are, through their Science and Policy Institute, really trying to bring a disparate group of people from all energy sectors together to have these kinds of conversations. So I, I appreciate that. I know of small pockets of people that are really trying to push a more collaborative conversation between everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that we need to... Um, it, it's hard to do, in my mind, without the... I think part of the reason the activist groups are so successful is they have that fear-mongering aspect to it. Yeah. And I don't want to bring fear to it. I want to bring Correct. like collaboration, a, 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 a constructive conversation yeah. around it. So it's, it's a challenging thing to do. Um, I, and I am trying to do it by, by bringing in, you know, let's, let's look at how we, how we live our lives and, and where the role that we play in it mm-hmm. as opposed to let government fix it. Um, and so it's not an easy thing to do because of course, like with most things, the first thing you have to answer is what's in it for me, the with them, right? Mm -hmm. If, if people, if there's not what's in it for me, if people don't understand that, they don't really, they're not going to listen to the conversation. Correct. A hundred percent. Yeah. So again, that's where the footprint fair kind of thing comes in Mm -hmm. where I'm trying to say that, you know, you play a role in this and this is why it should be important to you. If nothing else, one of the things that I do, um, that I've started doing anyway, I like everybody else. I love my Amazon, right? But I just just ordered right before I got here. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a part of the problem. Well, (laughs) to cut down on my own consumerism in my own way, I will put Everything, you know, if, if I want something, I'll put it in my Amazon cart. Yeah. I don't place, I don't click order until there's something that I really have to have. Like okay. it's essential. And then I go back and look at my whole cart. Mm-hmm. And without fail, about 50% of it, I delete. Because yeah. I didn't really need it. It was an impulse buy. Correct. Right? So You're window shopping. Right. Mm-hmm. So bringing that awareness and maybe just helping people understand, you know, as far as an actionable item, um, I guess really trying to help people bring more groups together to talk, mm-hmm. to have this conversation. I am working on that. I know other groups that are working on that too. We are the much smaller voice. And so um, if anybody has any grand ideas on how to make that happen, I would love to con- have a conversation with yeah. them. I am open to sitting down with anyone on how do we make this happen? Because I think it is extremely important. I love that. So, so next five years. Mm-hmm. Do we get better? Do we stay the same? What do you think is going to change? I know everybody asked for the 10, 20 years out, but let's let's talk about changing the narrative in five well, years. You just asked about 2020, and I couldn't even answer that. <laughs> That's not even five years. That's well, next that, year. That was a little trickier of a question. <laughs> that was meant to be a stump card. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> oh, well, five years, you know... I think a lot of it's going to depend on who's in office and what the political climate is. Um, I do think there is a better opportunity for all energy industries to try and um, have those conversations and help people understand energy better. Whether that is going to happen, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, from From a larger perspective... You know, um, 
the statistics are that over the next few years, but by 2040, mm -hmm. uh, we will become much, much more efficient in things like particularly power generation. Yeah. Um, and we'll be, we'll be using our resources much more wisely. Mm -hmm. Uh, but one thing people don't talk about, part of the reason consumerism is not a big part of the conversation right now is that petroleum feedstocks or non-combustibles um, are only about 10% of global production right now, mm -hmm. uh, global energy production or fossil fuel production. Um, by 2040, the middle class in Asia is particularly, is going to explode. Oh, and they are exploding now. So they are. And as, as people have more disposable income, they're going to consume more. And it's projected that petroleum feedstocks, while they're only 10% of the conversation right now, which is why consumerism is not something that people typically focus on, mm -hmm. um, by 2040, it's expected to be 40% of global production. Mm -hmm. So are we becoming more energy efficient in other areas? Yeah. But are we decreasing our dependence on fossil fuels? Mm -hmm. I would say no. No. So that's why I want to bring some awareness to this and help people understand that you know, it's like the it's like the proverbial balloon, right? Energy is if you push in on one side, it's going to go out on the other side. I mean, <laughs> there is no easy answer to this. Correct. Um, it's going to have to be a multifaceted approach, but it starts with how do we have this conversation and help people understand the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I shared this analogy with you uh, before. I mean, it's no different than the human body. There are eleven very complex systems that yeah. give the human body the energy that it needs on any given day. I don't have to understand all eleven systems or have a degree in anatomy and physiology or be a doctor to understand that my heart cannot replace the functions of my lungs. Mm -hmm. And I think energy is the exact same way. We're not necessarily going to replace one, uh, but we will we'll, we'll shift around. And, and maybe if you're running, obviously, you know, your heart and lungs are working more, you know, than, than some, and your muscles are working more than other parts of your Correct. body. Um, it's it's going to be, it's an ever-evolving and changing picture. But if we don't talk about it and we don't talk about what that future looks like and we just keep saying my way or the highway, you know, this either-or conversation, we're not, I don't think we're going to get anywhere that we need to be. So I would hope that in the next five years, the conversation changes. Um, and I'm not exactly. Well, you're going to be part of that change. I don't feel very optimistic <laughs> about it at this point, but I'm hoping that that's the direction that it goes. I think that's wonderful. Well, talk to us about how someone listening can help get involved with you from the footprint uh, science fair to the labels, because these are things that you're actively working on. And I know tons of companies that would be very appreciative for the opportunity to support you. So how how do they find you? How can they get, what is the, the web address to Energy360? It's energy360.us. .us. .us. Um, so hold on, www.energy360.us. Yes. Okay. Um, and, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I, you know, my email for that is lhamil, H-A-M-I-L, at energy360.us. Mm -hmm. If you would like to, you know, I'm specifically not going into schools, but I'm looking at more like 
girls uh, sustainability clubs in schools or girls and boys clubs or mm -hmm. girls and boys scouts. Basically, it'll be any sixth to eighth graders that want to put a team of three to five people together. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you have a group that you think might be interested in that, please yeah. reach out to me. If you are a company that, spe specifically if you're a local company where students could come and sit down and talk to you about how, how do you source things, where do they come from, how mm -hmm. far does it have to travel, I think it would be great exposure for, exposure for your company company and great education for the students. Correct. So if you're willing to be a company that that might um, want somebody to research one of your products, a mm -hmm. group of students to research one of your products from that beginning would be to so end, cool. please feel free to reach out to me. Case uh, study. <laughs> yeah, we are looking for sponsorship dollars for this. It would be, you know, we're doing a pilot project, so it'd be pretty minimal, uh, $10,000 or, or less for that's basically prizes for the kids and some development of materials and advertising. So that's nothing for most companies. It's not so. a lot. <laughs> so, you know, or if you have ide any other ideas on how to make this work, I think, you know, I'd love to talk to anybody about it. I have been, it's been, Energy 360 has been um, in my head for a very long time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I am ready to do things like this where I'm sharing it with other people and I need other input and ideas. Um, and, and then I'm hoping that some of the metrics that the kids come up with mm -hmm. will lead towards possibly some sort of, you know, some of those metrics are going to be things that we could capture to move forward with the labeling. Mm -hmm. So I think the conversation piece uh, and the, the, the follow the footprint is or the footprint fair is really where I'd like to start with this and see, you know, again, it's a pilot program. We're going to see where it goes, but I think it would be a lot of fun. It would be so cool to see it go on a national scale and then international because you see like soccer teams compete. Why not? Yeah. Uh, consumerism and science fairs. Yeah. What uh, and they would reach out to you the same way for the labels because I really need you to make that happen if you don't mind. <laughs> well, I'm actually that's very a little bit bigger project, um, but, but yes, I know, I know you're making the same strides. So yes. if they're interested in supporting you there, they can reach out to you in the same yes. capacity. That's yes. awesome. Yes. Well, you're very busy, so take us through a day in your life. I'm talking 12 a.m. to 11:59 p.m. How do you stay organized? How do you manage your day job while starting a nonprofit and making it bloom to what it has now? How do you not go nuts? I mean, what what's your tips, tricks, and secrets? <laughs> well, if you have some, I'd love to hear them. Um, Adderall. I... <laughs> Adderall. <laughs> Everyone ask. It's Adderall. <laughs> um, you know, I... I take a lot of notes. I'm pretty old-fashioned. I'm trying to move more to the computer. I, I have tons of notebooks. I take a lot of notes, and I try and keep things. I'm trying to work on OneNote, too, so I can organize things that I way. I love that, that app, OneNote. Yeah. Yeah, because um, then I can take things off the Internet or articles or whatever and put them in folders and mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So I do... I'm still learning OneNote. I still have a long way to go. Um, I have been in the middle of the... Well, not in the middle of it, but impacted by the Oxy Occidental Anadarko merger. Oxidarko. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Oxidarko. Um, it's been very busy. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot of my time lately has been more devoted towards work and what needs to get done there than it has been towards Energy 360. But that's starting to, uh, you know, look a little better. Even out. Yeah. So, um, so I'm hoping to get back more into. Um, energy 360 mm -hmm. and, and I just you know I I try and meet and talk to as many people as I can and Networking look for is so important yeah look for help look for um 
look for, you know, suggestions, mm-hmm. things I haven't thought of because I know there are a million of them, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of stuff. So collaboration again. I love that. What is a book, podcast, or other resource you would recommend to our listeners that has brought you value that you think they would find value in? Well, I haven't read this book yet, um, but I just met with uh, George Sparks with the Museum of Nature and Science yesterday, and it's one of his new favorite books, and he always gives me great recommendations. Uh, But it's called Love Your Enemies, and I also just recently got a book on um, how to have a constructive climate conversation. So, you know, I think I, I try and... To, to my point earlier about I can't just look at this from uh, my side of the of the coin. I have to look at it from all sides. That includes people that totally 100% disagree with what I'm trying to accomplish, or the three, you know the keep it in the ground people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we don't spend enough time uh, understanding the opposition so that we can try and meet somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. I think that it's. Um, we're, we're, we're stuck in our stance and we're going to stay there. Mm-hmm. And so books that can help me, um, reframe questions, uh, have a different perspective on an issue. You know, oftentimes when I go to these kinds of meetings and I hear the things that I say and I, it's like, Oh, I haven't thought about that before. Yeah. And if that's so important, how do we address that? I mean, again, if this is a Energy is a massive conversation, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of people ignore it because it is complex. Yes, and and I get that. Um, I've spent almost forty years in the energy industry, so it's kind of second nature to me. And when even when I teach my class, I forget. No, people don't know all the acronyms. They don't know what you're talking about. They, you know, and you skip steps and you forget <laughs> things. And so it's really how do you bring it back to. The, what's in it for me, right? Yeah. How do I help people understand this is why it's important and this is why it should be important? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, books that give, give me that kind of perspective. I love that. Yeah, so. Well, thank you so much for thank meeting you. with me today. I have absolutely loved this. I have actually learned quite a bit, so I'm very appreciative of that. And I'm so appreciative of you being willing to take on such a massive conversation because I know at times it might not be fun, but I love that you understand that it's necessary. So thank you so much for all that you're doing. And I can't wait to see what happens with Energy 360. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Y'all, Lisa is the definition of a true influencer. She is tackling such a difficult and necessary topic with grace and a game plan. I seriously encourage anyone interested in changing the narrative to connect with her in Energy 360 at www.energy360.us. She has unique ideas, she has an actionable agenda, and she understands that we need to steer the narrative to energy and not empty, angry rhetoric. Anyway, if you have any thoughts or questions, shoot them to me via Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Hold on, one more thing before you go. If today's episode brought you any sort of value, go online, rate, review, subscribe. Also, if you have any topics or influencers you would like us to feature, You can get in touch with us via Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, or the website at www.thecrudeaudacity.com. Thanks so much for your engagement, and until next week, give them hell.